the following presentation is brought to you by the Mutual Network. Better living through audio. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Hi there, it's Andy. Before we get started with this episode of Chatter and Lore, we wanted to just take a minute and share some audio drama podcast love. We at Rude Alchemy are all thoroughly impressed with another audio drama entitled The Once and Future Nerd. These guys do a really excellent job of blending modern humor with a deep and engrossing fantasy storyline. The content is extremely well produced and the creators are definitely committed to high quality storytelling and production value. We highly recommend you check them out. They are The Once and Future Nerd and they are on iTunes, Stitcher, or you can listen on their website, onceandfuturenerd.com. It is the year 2015, and life has lost all meaning. What once was up is down. What once was right is wrong. And those who dare to make a podcast which subversively reanimates the dead art of radio theater are considered dangerous criminal outcasts. Driven into exile, four pungent brigands risk their lives to broadcast from a South Seas barge crudely fashioned from the disintegrating corpse of an ancient titan and several thousand yards of cooking twine to bring you the triumph, the majesty, the sublimity, of rude alchemy. Chatter and lore. I'm Andy. I'm Andrew. I'm Tom. And I'm Ryan. And we are the creators of Rude Alchemy. Chatter and lore is that special place where we talk about Rude Alchemy, who we are, why we're doing it, and also the place where we tell some stories that will expand the ridiculous universe we're creating. If this is the first episode of Rude Alchemy you're listening to, thank you. Welcome. We're glad to have you, but since this is an opportunity to enhance and expand the world of the series, you might have a better time if you first listen to our debut season. It's called Kava Crane Bottom Bone Detective, and all five episodes are available right now on this feed. In this episode of Chatter and Lore, get to know the creators. Hear the thought. Uh, hmm. In this episode of Chatter and Lore. You me- Andy, Andy, you messed up talking. You messed up speaking. That's why I started over. In this. Yeah, you should start over. I'm about to. In this Whenever you're ready. <laughs> In this episode of Chatter and Lore, get to know the creators, hear their thoughts on Carver Cranebottom Season 1, listen to two more thrilling stories from the Carver universe, and finally, find out the title of Rude Alchemy Season 2. Oh boy. 
I'm excited. Really for looking that forward one. to hearing the title. Really excited. Can we hear the title now? Do we have to wait till the end? Nope. Well, we're, we're going to wait. We're going to wait till the end. We're going to wait. Now, we know from constant fan mail, stalkers, and demands for locks of our hair that you are all desperately interested in finding out more about the four beautiful men responsible for this travesty. So, we are now going to use this segment to do instant mini-interviews in a circular fashion. I will ask Tom a question, Tom will ask Ryan a question, Ryan will ask Andrew a question, and Andrew will ask me a question. Okay, Andy, let's get started. Andy. Yes, yes. Is it, to- is it time to hear the title of season two yet? <laughs> Not yet, Tom. Remember, Satan loves impatience. He uses it to spread disease. Oh. Uh, oh. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. It's all right. Uh, so, Tom, uh, now for my question for you. And my question is, just how many funny voices do you have? Um, uh, whew, like an exact number? I think... Um... <laughs> I think at last count it was close to forty. Wow! But, they, but that, that that's one of the great things about this whole process is you know you keep finding out what you can do. I quite honestly, before we started this, I had really no idea just how talented I was. Mm. That's been a it's been a real nice thing for me to discover. <laughs> what? Let's not get ahead of ourselves here. Oh, no, Brian, I was wondering. Um, yeah. uh, let's go with uh, the scale of percentages. What percentage of you? is in the narrator. What percentage of me is in the narrator? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> Not like physically or anything. I'm talking, you know, about like... Yeah, know. like, yeah, when you go to bed with them each night, how much of you do you put in? Is it like like just a pinky finger? Is it... <laughs> it's disgusting. Wait, so is it That's a percentage disgusting. of body or like a, we're talking about a number percentage? <laughs> like am I saying up to my ankles, <laughs> knees? <laughs> how much? How much of you is embodied in the narrator. Oh, man. I don't know. I'm, uh, you just don't think about it that deeply, do you? <laughs> no. I would say, I would say maybe, maybe 10% when it comes to like being afraid of the dark, you know, or <laughs> having my imagination run wild and, you know, afraid something's looking at me, but not, not too much. I'm, I'm a pretty much a, a country bumpkin compared to the, uh, the narrator. Andrew, and your in your humble opinion, who is more handsome, Carver Cranebottom <laughs> or yourself? <laughs> I think Carver Cranebottom is Carver Cranebottom is definitely more handsome. See, than I, I am. disagree. I totally. I think, yeah. do. <laughs> why? Why do you disagree? Why do I dis? Well, I don't know. I mean, I just you know he's he's got the whole English thing working for him, you know. So there's, I'm thinking some bad teeth there. I guess that's a question. Is uh, <laughs> yeah, it's going strictly so, by teeth. So, Andrew's definitely got him beat out yeah, there. Absolutely, uh, got great so dental hygiene. Really good. He's not. He's uglier, but he's more charming because he's British. I see. Okay. Well, All right. Yep. That that makes sense to me. I, I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> I still think he's more handsome than I do, though. But right. I think the great thing about the great thing about radio is the listener can decide how handsome or not handsome he is on their own. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. If they wanted to put like Ryan Philippi in there instead of 
instead of you, they could. <laughs> Why Ryan Phillippe? Why is he the Yeah, that's a really specific substitute. choice. Which that's, one that's is he? I pretty much put in, uh, in, in all of my mind movies is Ryan Phillippe, pretty much. Okay, my question for Andy. Um, when you're writing... How do you decide or or do you decide like when to put funny stuff in? Like I find myself when I'm writing, sometimes I'll, I'll have to be like, how many pages has it been since the last like joke or the last laugh? Mm. Um, and sometimes I have to, I feel like I have to go back and insert <laughs> things that are funny. And sometimes it just sort of happens naturally from the situations you start putting the characters in. How do you, how do you sort of juggle funny and story when you're writing? Uh, I don't intentionally have a quota, I guess, or anything like that. I know that, uh, like for the first episode I wrote, I think you guys told me like, there's not enough funny in this. So I think I had to go back in. Um, (laughs) I don't remember that happening. I I think the second episode is very funny. I I know. uh, Well, thank you. I, I didn't mean to sound cocky and say, I know I meant to say, uh, but I think the first draft maybe. There was I know I had to add a lot of narrator stuff because I really neglected the narrator and that was like work I had to like think okay you know what have we already not you know what have we not done because we did so much with him in the first episode uh, and then I know that when I wrote the story for last week I did get it you know it was four long single space pages uh, and uh, I know it when I was two and a half pages in I was like I have not put a single joke in this yet. And then uh, I just kind of never did. So I was like, I guess this one just won't be funny. Uh, so it just whatever happens, it's not my focus to, you know, I don't have like a quota of every, uh, you know, uh, 200 words, make sure there's something hilarious or, or something like that. Yeah. So it does seem to just happen. And, I, you know, when it does happen. Well, is it hard? Is that's it- fortunate for all of us. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to insert jokes? I mean, when you're going back and, you know, when you you get the note to say, well, I need to, you know, add add a little more to this. I mean, is it hard to do that? Or, I mean, do you, is it pretty easy to find somewhere that you can kind of an organically put in a joke or? Yeah. I, 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 I find, no. yeah, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I guess just adding the uh, like adding that narrator stuff wasn't terribly difficult. It was a little bit more work than just sort of my normal writing flow. Um, but it's like you know, if you just sh- shake the bush hard enough, eventually a couple of birds fly out. <laughs> I find that like uh, oftentimes, if you if a character, if you need, it's like it comes from from a char- from a character driven thing. I think most of the times for me, like. If there's a character that was not there originally when I first wrote the scene, if I if I if I try to find a way to either get a character into the scene that wasn't in there originally, it totally shakes things up and and can make for funny, but yeah. not all the time. Okay. Uh. Well, we certainly hope you all enjoyed season one of Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective. I know we did, right, boys? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'll have say post-mortem for season one. Let's do a quick roundtable on this seminal moment in podcast history. Uh, so let's just go around the roundtable. Just give us a couple of words, you know, maybe a sentence or two of what, what you thought on the, on the answer to each of these questions. So um, what did you think of the idea when you first heard it? And I guess we could expand this to include Rude Alchemy and Carver Crane Bottom itself. Um, so um, 
Tom, what did you think of the idea? Failure. Um, All right. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I, I, I my, my, uh, the first thing I thought about was how much I would love to do uh, a project with the three of you guys. So really, uh, it didn't take much to get me on board. Um, but once the idea was actually explained out and kind of fleshed out for me, um, I thought it was great. I thought it had unlimited potential. I thought it was a, a new thing that, uh, that, um, hasn't really been done before or, or certainly not to the extent that we're that we want to take it don't take up um, all the answers tom please <laughs> yeah ryan why don't, why don't you jump in there what did you rye guy no 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 I, I didn't mean to interrupt tom i was just trying to be funny no 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 no, 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 no. it's fine it's fine no, no, come on i only had like a couple more minutes to go no 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 it's fine it's fine it's fine i quit by the way i'm done more than enough Oh no! I I just I thought it was a, a, a selfishly I thought it was a nice opportunity for me to be creative again. You know, it's it had been a while. You know, you step away from the theater or performance, and I thought it was uh, it'll be a nice kind of um, vacation from the you know your regular work life. So I I guess I'll give the kind of the I'll give the kind of selfish answer there. So yeah, I was I was looking forward to a. You know, a bit of a, a new experience and um, something to, you know, so you can get away from your, your normal work day. Cool. And I'm, I'm the monotony an- of everyday existence. That's good. Yeah. I'm going to answer next because uh, Andrew invented the, the title Carver Crane Bottom Bone Detective. So maybe he can talk about, you know, what he thought when he thought of it or whatever. But when he sent it over to me, I know we had just been talking, passing around a bunch of different ideas and. I just thought this is uh this sounds um like the the best one to start with I think is what I what I thought just because it was a detective and we knew we wanted to do something kind of in that style so um you know and it it was just quirky uh, sort of a quirky detective rather than a straightforward hard-boiled thing or something like that so loved it Andrew how do yeah. you how do you how, how, where do you get your ideas <laughs> Well, I mean, I think all of this all started. We saw a movie, Andy and I. Uh, I don't remember even what the movie was in August. Was it Guardians? Uh, and this episode, the Guardians of Galaxy, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, I think is maybe what we saw, which is a great movie. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think universally that has been that's an accepted fact. I don't think I'm going to stir up any trouble by saying it was a great movie. That's uh, weird. We I never, I didn't August. get my invitation to that uh, to that little movie that you guys uh, went to those nights. Uh, <laughs> weird. Oh. That is strange. I, uh, I sent it out. I had it. I sent it out. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> meeting to talk to my post. So that, that was in yeah. that was in August, and this episode that we're doing right now is is going to be dropping in March. So, uh, and we both went home after the movie and kind of like we want to we want to do something, want to work on something, and I think we sort of simultaneously came back to each other and said, why don't we try to do some kind of radio theater thing? Um, yeah. Uh, really simultaneously, sort of. It was like we we both got back to I think we sent an email to each other within 24 hours and it was very like we should do some kind of radio thing we should do a radio theater thing we wow. should do a podcasting thing. Andrew, and like we didn't we didn't have any yeah. more specifics than that. The the initial the real initial idea I'll give credit to Andrew because he said let's do I would love to do a cartoon with the the four of us. And we <laughs> talked about that for a little bit at dinner but then we were like well neither of us can do animation and we don't really know anybody and then I think you know, it, we just thought, okay, leaving out animation, 
uh, what could we do? And, and I think, yeah, it kind of came to us at that point. Nice. And not not that cartoons are off the table completely, but I oh, think no. just <laughs> for now. in our immediate future anyway. <laughs> right. Uh, I think we would all love to do a cartoon eventually. But um but Carver Creambottom was one of we each wrote three treatments then after this decision to try to do a radio theater thing and uh, sent the treatments to each other. And I know Carver just came from I think I was reading uh Study in Scarlet, which is the first Sherlock Holmes um no- novella story, whatever novel and uh and i was i don't know it was just sort of in my brain i was also working on uh that play that i wrote which is called the resurrectionist which is also set in kind of victorian england uh well it's not set in england but it's set in victorian america but very much has those kind of archetypal characters and so i think that was just sort of pumping around my head when when i was writing the treatments and that was the one that stuck with andy and so that was the one that we decided we would start hammering out so yep that's about it. All right. Uh, quickly, give, everybody give me one favorite moment from the episodes. Let's go in reverse order this time. Uh, Andrew, favorite moment. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my favorite moment from all of Carver Cranebottom. Um, um, oh, God. Uh, it's probably something the narrator does. <laughs> it's probably <laughs> one of his... Yeah. Probably one of his uh, uh, specifically. I'm specifically love the moment at the at the end of episode four when he's telling the story about his favorite memory <laughs> with his mother and looking at the stars, and he very bluntly says, "Compared to that, it was a piece of shit." I think that that and everything kind of cuts out. I think that's very funny. If you ask me tomorrow, I might have a different answer, but that's my answer right now. Yes. All right, cool. Um, I I'll say um, uh, fistful of crypt dust from episode three. <laughs> Ryan, uh, I'd have to say because it just came as a complete surprise because you you kept it kind of quiet, Andy. Was the addition of the um, the announcer's troubled married life <laughs> with, with his, his wife Denise? I look forward to every time it comes out. <laughs> This last one was great, by the way. Uh, okay. Oh, Denise. I don't care what the Poor state Denise. says, Denise. Brendan staying with me. Is that what it was? <laughs> oh, my goodness. The episode four one, yeah. I love that. Tom? Thomas? Uh, Kane stole my number one. Whalen stole my number two. So I will go with my number three, and that would be the uh, Razzle story. Razzle, razzle Razzleton. Oh, the Razzle Razzleton. <laughs> Can I have a number that two as well? Because beautiful story. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead oh, I, I just when when the um, the editing came in with the uh, butcher and Carver being the uh, museum guy, just the echo and then the story that goes with it. <laughs> you know, oh, I, that, that yeah, was yeah. that was just so well done. And you know, as far as editing and performance, I was really that was a favorite moment of mine too. Uh, finally, what's next for Carver? You may not know this, listeners, but we are planning to do um, a season two of Carver at some point. Um, it will not be the next season. That will be something else, which is why uh, Tom is scrambling to, to find out what the title is. Um, but, uh, yeah, what do we all think would be next for Carver? What's just some idea, something we'd like to see maybe in, in, a, in a potential season two? 
let's just go in a random order. Um, Ryan. Um. Oh, man, well, put me on the spot. I guess I, I'd, I'd like to see. Um, you know, I, I can imagine there being some. Uh, um. Some soul searching on Carver's behalf. The fact that Lilith, you know, isn't exactly smitten with him. So I guess there's, uh, I could see, you know, maybe there's some opportunity there for, seems like Carver has it kind of easy when it comes to, you know, getting the lady. So maybe he's got to change up his game a little bit with Lilith. So that might make things a little, uh, little saucy, a little exciting. Some romance on the horizon. Oh, that sounds good. Which might, it might mean more because, you know, he's always, he's never had to really work for it. So if he has to work for it for with Lilith, then... You know, this because she could be the one. She could be the one for Carver. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Thomas? I would I would very much like to see the continuation of the Lilith and Ackerman uh, love story. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a lot of potential there. <laughs> yes. I just bet you would. <clears throat> <laughs> Um, I, I am hoping that maybe more of Carver's past will, will come Mm. to the forefront, uh, uh, specifically maybe his father, Jacob Carver, who we heard about in, uh, episode three. Um, but yeah, Yeah. I feel like there's probably a lot there. There's a lot, a lot to mine, but what about you, Andy? I guess, um, I'd like to, uh obviously see more um with the uh whatever whatever happened at the at the end whatever that monstrosity is i'd like to maybe see some some sort of see if we could do an audio battle of some sort with the monstrosity or Mm. monstrosities Uh. or something like that uh could be interesting are you thinking are you thinking custom sound effects i mean with this thing i don't know how easy it's gonna be fun we do uh, maybe yeah well i mean do you, we do have some. I mean, do you mean like sound effects that we are that we record? Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, again, you can tell that I, you can tell I'm not the editor, we, but I, we, I think a lot of our yeah. stuff comes from like sound <laughs> banks of some sort, you know. But yeah, I can't we imagine we basically there our ahead. sound effects are yeah they're they're public domain or they're Creative Commons attribution yeah. three, so it's all stuff that you can get on on the internet. But we do do we do do some uh, recorded stuff. We do actually do our own some some recorded stuff for sound effects. Can I get an example yep. of one? What's one of the ones that we we recorded ourselves? Uh, the some of the background, some of the ambient stuff oh, okay. in different settings. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the like the um, Saint Morris Asylum sound effects are are ones that we recorded. Oh, really interesting. Yeah, Andrew did all of yeah. it. Actually, ah. he, he created a uh, <laughs> all of those voices of mumbling crazy people are Andrew. Really together. Beautiful. And the whistling and everything. Yeah, just in St. Morris. I don't know if you did it anywhere else, but... Hey, Andy. Uh, yes, Tom? Now is the time to hear the title of season two. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, Thomas, you little rascal. Not yet. I know you're starting to froth at the mouth, so bite down on your stick to keep from swallowing your tongue. <laughs> okay, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> All off the top of our heads, folks. Now that we've covered chatter, it's time for lore. This week we have two stories to share. 
We wrote these stories ahead of time. The only criteria we gave ourselves was that they be set in the Carver universe during a time that is not inside the immediate storyline. Andrew will go first. Andy? Yes, Tom? I'm I'm not even going to ask this time because I know that's not what you want, and I don't want to make you mad. That's a good boy, Tom. Okay, so my story... Oh, that was pretty. Title. That was a good one, right? I I, was, I pictured, Andy, I I pictured you, you reading it's it. Hilarious. I, I pictured you reading it like a little boy. This whole thing, but you didn't pick up on that, and I didn't want to give you a note. So I guess it's just going to be. <laughs> you know what? That's my fault because your writing is so clear yeah, and I transparent. And I, know. I don't know how I missed it. I don't know how <laughs> I missed taking, it. We're taking time Wait, away from that, Andrew's story. What? Yes, Ryan. That ex- that exchange was scripted. <laughs> I thought. Uh, all right, was... go ahead, Andrew. Whenever you're ready. <laughs> okay, my story is called "The King." Oh my god. Hmm. Oh, I know you're so pumped. Um. All right, here we go. John Ron Blobmon Jr. was a squat lad with fussy orange hair and a moon-faced smirk that made the girls giggle with embarrassment and the old lady's old lady fart in anticipation of giving those chunky cheeks a squeeze. <laughs> Yes, he was a portly little turd and sole heir to the Blobmon Crust and Cuts Victual Scuttle and Fancy Food Cannery. You know, the same Blobmon Crust and Cuts Victual Scuttle and Fancy Food Cannery that drearily dominates the skyline of Grubgate, the one that employs the impossibly poor garbage people and the backbreaking labor of its operation while simultaneously ensnaring them further into debt by forcing the purchase of inferior and under- unnourishing foodstuffs and food-like byproducts. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> John Ron Jr. enjoyed running through the victual scuttle and fancy food cannery while his daddy, John Ron Sr., puffed on a big wooden pipe from his office that overlooked the factory floor. J.R. Sr. would peer through the ornately glassed window and sneer while J.R. Jr. ran amok terrorizing the workers, whipping about his gigantic licorice rope or striking them haughtily with his great shining lollipop scepter. I am the candy king, he would shriek like a fat little jackass. The garbage people just kept their heads down. They knew better than to backtalk the son of the boss, especially while said boss was making poopy diaper faces through his big boss mustache in the heaven-like glow of smoke and glass that hovered high above their heads. One day, John Ron Jr. was putting chocolates in his mouth, letting them melt and dribbling the brown spit onto the heads of the garbage people below as he sang... Rain of poo, rain of poo, poo is gonna rain on you. Rain of poo, rain of poo, the candy king has pooed on you. (laughs) I can't take it anymore, said a garbage person who was called Pepper. He had a big black garbage beard and angry blue eyes. (laughs) If that little knob doesn't quit it, I'll cut his greasy neck. Dim, Dim, what are you doing? But Dim couldn't hear because he was running back and forth in an effort to catch that gross melted chocolate in his hand. It's not poo at all, Peppa. It's choco, said Dim, (laughs) tasting his disgusting fingers delicately. We could let it harden and sell it as sweets, Dim smiled through his horrible garbagey teeth. He was tall and thin and his blonde hair was in a style we would call page boy, but the garbage people called the saucy wax Donald. (laughs) Would you quit running around and get back to your machine? The foreman will be on us like swift death in a minute, hissed Pepper. Choco's rarer than rare amongst us garbage people, Dim said expositionally. (laughs) Now, now. (laughs) Now, now, what do we have here? Fancy Dim with his saucy wax Donald thinks he's too fancy to run his machine, said the foreman. He had a greasy mustache. 
that looked like a caterpillar nest and terrible yellowy eyes. Well, it is the fancy food cannery after all, Dim chuckled good-heartedly, like a person that poor and malnourished could possibly have a heart not addled with palpitations and infested with worms. Right you're out of here, you, growled the foreman. See here, Mr. Foreman, he was just having a laugh, doing a bit of turn the old phrase, Pepper interjected. And you is well with him, you, added the foreman. See here, Dim, you've had us both sacked, Pepper lamented, and all because of that evil little sack of pudge. The candy king has no more poo, but now come the showers of his golden rod to wash his subjects clean. John Ron Jr. then started whizzing on all the workers, and I don't mean he was making a silly pun for some kind of old-fashioned yellow liquid candy. He actually whipped out his little lady killer and started shooting human pee all over those sad, sad garbage people. (laughs) The doubly sad thing was that some of the workers were actually cleaner afterwards because of it. I'm the king, I'm the king, J.R. Jr. squealed. See how they're all bowing before the king? Oh, it's washing off my choco, Dim bemoaned. Don't worry, Dim, my boy. I've got an idea that'll have us full of choco for the rest of our natural lives. Gosh, really? asked Dim. I'm already 27. You mean I'll be eating choco until next April? (laughs) You get it? Because they're old, because the standards of living was... Uh, anyway, um, the next day, John Ron Blobmon Jr. skipped gaily to the local sweet shop. He saw the bright, clean windows and the beautiful display of sugar and color glowing just beyond. He was about to reach for the door handle when his vision went black and a terrible, sharp pain reverberated from the back of his skull. When he opened his eyes again, he was in a dark and smelly place. The only light spilled from the only light spilled orange and dim from a smoky lantern strung on a nail protruding from a splintery wooden pillar. The walls were hung with various devices and bits of broken machines. "'Here he is,' one voice said. "'Let's have a look,' answered another. "'Welcome, welcome, Candy King!' The two figures hobbled over. The tall one was wearing a hood that concealed his face and a necklace full of tinkling keys. The shorter one had a dark beard and a greasy gray gear sat upon his head like a crown. He wore old gloves with rivets fitted through the knuckles that made him look like a monster with claws. "'Candy King, how do, sire?' asked the cog-crowned one. "'Who are you?' the boy squeaked. "'I am the Garbage King, and this is my garbage kingdom.' Meanwhile, at the Blobmon Crust and Cuts Victual Scuttle and Fancy Food Cannery office, (laughs) John Ron Sr. opened a soiled piece of paper that read, "'We have your son. If you want him living, come to the hollow below Grubgate Bridge at midnight.' "'Good, holy, sweet goddamn!' John Ron Sr. muttered through his regal mustache. "'It's finally happened!' To be continued. Oh. oh my god! <laughs> so the idea here is that um, we're we're launching a little bit of a blog. Uh, we maybe we'll call it, we'll honorarily name it the Blobmon Blog um, for this story. But the other two the other two parts of this story we'll put up on the blog. Um, uh, on our rootalchemy.com website page place internet place um, but we'll just read the first section you just heard the first section just now and the other pieces of the story will go up separately on the blog you dirty so little go teeth. there for you that shit dirty yeah <laughs> This one doesn't have a title. I didn't. I didn't think enough to give it a title. <laughs> uh, 
So you'll just have to bear with me. <clears throat> it's not as good as Andrew's, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Pem- <clears throat> Whoa. Pembroke Braxton walked with a purpose down Birdcage Lane in the heart of the storied excavating equipment district. Less than 24 hours prior to this very moment did he irreparably contort his aged and trusted trowel while on the site of a dig in the north country. A heavy thrust in a shallow yet well-hidden granite cobble sealed the fate of his trusty tool, which he quietly named Helen of Trowel. (laughs) (laughs) While he lamented the loss of his old friend, he feared not for he was mere moments away from Cornelius Ackerman's excavating equipment dispensary. He and several thousand of his archaeological brethren supplied themselves at the Ackerman dispensary. In those days, archaeologists possessed fierce loyalty toward their equipment suppliers. Ackerman gained the trust of his clientele through years of innovation, patience, no shortcuts, and, of course, complimentary tea and biscuits. Pembroke approached the end of Birdcage Lane, and as he pivoted left onto Hart's cul-de-sac, he immediately noticed a gathering crowd in front of Ackerman's shop. The crowd was by no means violent, but there was palpable electricity and a tension that had swept through the lot of them. Pembroke slowly made his way through the crowd, and as he stood before the door of Ackerman's shop, an icy chill went down his spine. A rock harder and heavier than the granite that dominated his trowel formed in his gut. His mouth immediately dried, and a metallic grit replaced the delightful remnants of the pasty he had consumed earlier. (laughs) His eyes fixated on a blood-red sign, crudely nailed to the front door. He removed his spectacles, rubbed his eyes, and gave a quick spit wash to his lenses, put them back on, and still the sign read its chilling message. Closed. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was eight o'clock a.m. on a Tuesday in June. There was no reason for the shop to be closed. The shop had never been closed on a Tuesday in its 35-year history. Uh, how was he going to replace his trowel? He, he needed to be back at the dig by noon, but he'd be useless without a trowel. While these thoughts and fears ran through Pembroke's head, he noticed he wasn't the only one suffering pangs of anxiety over this atrocity. Chang Reynolds began violently twitching as he needed to replace his studded boots for his cave dig. Marigold Montgomery, London's first female archaeologist, began pulling out her hair, one <laughs> strand at a time, while chanting in some long-dead Druidic language. <laughs> Julius Shankston, who had finally saved up after three long years to purchase the famed Ackerman dredgematic, began uncontrollably screaming at a shockingly high, constant pitch. <laughs> Shouts rose from the crowd. What are we supposed to do? Show yourself, Ackerman. Archaeology won't stand for this. Archaeologists unite. How am I supposed to dig? No Ackerman, no excavating. Across the cul-de-sac, Gus Blanchard of Gus Blanchard's Pickaxe Emporium (laughs) noticed the commotion outside of his shop window. He questioned a more stable passerby and was informed of of the Ackerman issue. 
not the ty- not the type to let an opportunity pass him by, Gus immediately gathered his employees and started setting up an impromptu sidewalk sale to calm the angry mob and to make one hell of a profit. With his employees positioned and his merchandise displayed, Gus stood atop a chair and addressed the crowd. Please, all of you, in the name of archaeology, calm yourselves. As a provider of fine excavation goods, I promise you we will solve the mystery of Ackerman. But until we do, my friends, until we do, why not cross the street and take a... Why not cross the street and take a look at what Uncle Gus has to offer? (laughs) A dead quiet fell over the crowd. Gus felt he was on the verge of a breakthrough, calming the crowd and bring them over to his ranks. But excessive pride has brought down mightier men than Gus Blanchard. Uncle Gus had underestimated the crowd's loyalty to Cornelius Ackerman's excavation equipment dispensary and their red-hot hatred for any other supplier. Pembroke Braxton, after hearing the words of the blasphemous Gus Blanchard, began experiencing what he would later call rage paralysis. While his logical mind was telling him to simply walk away, his body was doing something entirely different. He witnessed his hand reach into his own satchel without commanding it to do so. From the satchel emerged Helen of Trowel, bent, yet still sharp. You could never dull an Ackerman edge. With a great force, Pembroke hurled (laughs) Helen through the crowd, and she found her mark in Gus Blanchard's windpipe. (laughs) Gus fell to the ground, blood spurting from a gash in his throat. Upon seeing their employer fall, the Blanchard employees each picked up a patented Blanchard pickaxe and commenced a battle cry that all of London heard and never forgot. Chess Blanchard, Gus's son, ran to the second floor of the shop and began to blow on the Blanchard excavating war horn. (laughs) Thus began the great excavating equipment district riot, a riot that resulted in 1,000 dead, countless wounded, and claims of cannibalism. It lasted eight days and was only brought to a halt by the Queen's own army. Interestingly enough, not one shot was fired. The only weapons used were excavation tools, which made for grisly wounds and painful deaths and a long-lasting public fear of archaeologists and excavators. (laughs) Several buildings burned to the ground, and supply shops that had been around for generations closed their doors for good. (laughs) Ironically, the only shop that survived the riot was the Ackerman Dispensary. Cornelius claimed he merely slept in. (laughs) But (laughs) it is widely whispered that Ackerman ignited the riot to corner the market. But amidst all the rumors... The demand for excavating equipment went on, and Ackerman did supply a quality product. So everyone went on their merry way and tried their best to put it all behind them. And that's the end. All right. <laughs> Woo! Bravo. Well done. Bravo. <laughs> The, the the freaking war horn in Gus Blanchard's <laughs> attic. <laughs> uh, uh. Oh, I just man. thought, <laughs> yeah, 
funny to explore some eccentricities of archaeologists and people uh. in the trade. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. And, and better than mine. Definitely better than mine. So, so congratulations. Thanks for joining us for Rude Alchemy Chatter and Lore. This is our end of season Chatter and Lore. We'll be back for episode one of season two of Rude Alchemy in two weeks. And now, the moment you've been waiting for, the announcement of the title of Rude Alchemy season two. Yeah, give it to me, 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 give it to me. Ryan, (laughs) will you do the honors? (laughs) My pleasure. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah. Rude alchemy. Tom, please. (laughs) (laughs) You okay, bud? Yeah. We we gonna do this? You ready? I'm ready ready for it? I'm ready. Who's ready for it? Who's ready for it? Oh, I'm ready for it, baby. Rude alchemy, season two, is titled... Bruff Taxwind Sky Sailor. Yes! Yes! Hooray! Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> <laughs> you called it, Tom. You called it. That's what you were saying. Oh, yes! Good. All right. All right. See, oh, thank for Tom you. and I, it is thank a really like a big surprise because Andy and Andrew actually do not allow us to know anything about script writing or anything. <laughs> they keep everything. I'm not very, sure why, but secret. they refuse to. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, thank you, thank you. Please be sure to like us on Facebook. We do fun, stupid stuff there, like a weird Wednesday caption contest where the winner gets an exclusive download of a blooper reel. It's very explicit and very funny, or just come say hey. Also, follow the narrator on Twitter. He's always tweeting his life story and men's grooming tips. And most importantly, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. This really, really helps increase our exposure. In fact, um, we were able to get on New and Noteworthy just a few days after we launched, and uh, this had uh, a lot to do with folks going on and giving us some, uh, some great reviews and subscribing and all of that. So if you haven't done it yet, please do it. It would mean just so much to us. Uh, we got big plans for Rude Alchemy. We know we can't make them happen without you, so thanks again. Yeah, like cartoons, yeah. MFers. <laughs> if you want a Rude Alchemy cartoon, keep up the promotions. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's say Thank say, you, everybody. Say goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. is Mr. Thomas Hodgkin, Mr. Andrew Kane, Mr. Andy Wertner, and Mr. Ryan Whalen. This episode's story is written by Mr. Whalen and Mr. Kane. 
episode edited by Mr. Kane. Intro and outro music by Old Town Wake. All other music composed by Mr. Benjamin J. Robb. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. And now, Mutual of Ohm, providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC, proudly presents Wrinkly's Believe It or Forget About It, bringing you strange but true tales and oddities from all over this wide world. And here is your host, Mr. Robert Wrinkly. Hello, I'm Robert Wrinkly. And lastly, here is the story of Johnny Warden of Halifax, Nova Scotia, who, as second mate of the cargo ship SS Montblanc, miraculously survived the explosion of that vessel on December 6, 1917, and the subsequent destruction of the Richmond district of Halifax, and the deaths of more than 2,000 Haligonians, by the simple miracle of having been in the bed of a prostitute neighboring Fort Sackville at the time. He was known as Lucky Jack for the rest of his life. He died in 1947 in Queens, New York, at the age of 62. Interestingly enough, in the bed of another prostitute. Believe it or forget about it. I'm Robert Wrinkley. Ta-ta for now. You've been listening to a special feature of Pulp Puri Theater. Wrinkley's Believe It or Forget About It. Brought to you by Mutual of Ohm. Providing spiritual insurance for your past, your present, and your future since 500 BC. This is Gramercy Noun speaking. We return you now to our regularly scheduled program.